Welcome to Insights with Sights, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. The lessons appointed for the third Sunday in Lent are the Ten Commandments from Exodus, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, John 2 and John's account of the overturning of the money changers, and Psalm 19. Upon leaving Mark's Gospel, for John, as we do this week, we enter a terrain with its own special features, and chief among them is Jesus' confrontation with Jewish religious leaders at an earlier point in time than the synoptics. Whether the synoptics knew of things like previous visits by Jesus for Passover, but preferred to let the emphasis fall on the final Passover encounter with Last Supper, trial, and crucifixion, we simply cannot know. But what this does allow is for John's use at the Lenten season, where our attention is on Jesus' decision to go to Jerusalem for a final time by giving us additional insight into the character of his confrontation with the religious authorities there. So for today, we are in the temple during Passover, and we witness Jesus driving out those who changed money, that is, so that animals could be bought for sacrifice, by those pilgrims coming from regions of the Jewish diaspora. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of course, report at the final Passover of his life. He entered the temple and drove out those who sold, as Luke puts it in his laconic version, consisting of just two verses. Thereupon he began teaching there, so Luke, or healing, so Matthew. Jeremiah is the Old Testament text that's quoted by Jesus on these occasions. A house of prayer has become a den of robbers. It's been convincingly argued, at least to my mind, that John has been written both for its own sake, but also for readers who know Mark. At a number of points, parenthetical comments John makes presuppose a reader with knowledge of the narrative line of Mark to which he is making reference, making additions. So he splices in things in order to augment, supplement, and emphasize this early encounter in the temple during Passover culminates in what is taken to be a prediction of the temple's destruction. And this is consistent with the charges brought against him at his trial, which all the synoptics otherwise report. In John's Gospel, however, 
as he has it, the culminating incentive for hostility and death-seeking comes in the wake of Jesus' raising of Lazarus and the fear of the religious leaders that, quote, everyone will now believe in him. The end of chapter 11 is crystal clear on this point, and for John, it is here at this point that Jesus turns to Jerusalem for a final time with his being anointed by Mary before entering the city. So John's encounter at Passover is but the first in a series, which we learn in today's lesson was retrospectively understood in its full significance as a prediction of his own death and not so much the temple's destruction. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Our readings for today are less straightforward in the way they work together, or one might say more subtle. I take that to be a good thing, asking us to probe, stop, and ponder, and pray, and meditate as Thomas Cranmer put it in his famous collect, to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. For this is how the scriptures get into us, find their path into us as God's word. So let's identify the links and then tease them out. Jesus' action in the temple brings to mind for the Scripture-marinated disciples Psalm 69, verse 9. A psalm, Psalm 69, which is otherwise important elsewhere as prefiguring Jesus' suffering with its line, They gave me poison for food and for my thirst vinegar to drink. The verse that rises up in them, in in the disciples, as they witness Jesus' actions in the temple, is zeal, zeal for thy house will consume me, or as the psalm has it, has consumed me. In the Ten Commandments, God is described as a jealous God, a zealous God, a God who is to be first and God alone worshipped in this spirit, unlike all he has made and above all claimants to be God. God is holy. God is one. God is to be worshipped. And he's holy in making his commandments known to his people. The same word in Hebrew for jealous is here, as in Psalm 69, zeal. Kinyat in Hebrew. In John's Gospel, it is the zeal of Jesus Christ, jealous for the temple and for the right worship of the holy God of Mount Sinai, who gave the commandments in the here and now of the temple, God's holy dwelling place and sanctuary. In the psalm, The righteous one is zealous 
to such a degree that he is all-consumed in his efforts, just like the all-consuming fire of God's holiness. Yet the psalm, Psalm 69, also makes it clear that this zeal, this jealous righteousness of the righteous one, provokes attack. The insults of those that insult thee fall upon me, the verse continues. Perhaps, then, this is what is meant in the final line from John for today. The further confirmation of the Scriptures and Jesus' word together is remembered by the disciples who witnessed the encounter And it is just this. Jesus would not be just all-consuming in his zeal like God himself in putting right what false worshipers have distorted. In addition, because of his zeal in this cause, the insults against God, which he condemns and overturns, will fall on him in his death. The temple where God dwells which the temple on earth was to be by God's holy design, is embodied in his Son. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. In the passage today from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he speaks of the power of this same saving cross of Christ in leveling and reconfiguring what humanity, what we mean by wisdom. He says, in passing, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom or desire wisdom. When Jesus acts with righteous authority in overturning the exchange tables, the Jews who were present ask what sign he might give for doing this. They apparently don't dispute the action just for its own sake, but instead ask for a sign for why he is the one sent by God for this kind of cleansing and overturning. Now, this is a statement rife with possible meaning, for as we know in John's gospel, Jesus does signs. And in fact, he's just done one, his first, the turning of water into wine. Like Moses producing frogs, hail, grasshoppers, the death of the firstborn, with his famous rod given to him for the signs, or like the birth of Emmanuel, the sign given to Ahaz by Isaiah, the sign demanded of Jesus would be something concrete and present for them to witness. Following the turning of the water into wine in John's Gospel, we know Jesus heals an official son on death's door, the man born blind, Lazarus called forth from the tomb. These are all concrete, present signs and wonders. 
Here, there is a sign which Jesus gives in response, but it is enigmatic. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And not just enigmatic, but having to do with the future yet to unfold. This is not unlike the sign God gives to Moses at the burning bush, which is the eventual worship of God at the mountain where he now is, yet after the ordeal of the confrontation with Pharaoh yet to come. Jesus is speaking of himself as a sign, indeed the ultimate sign, his body as the temple of God's holiness, which will be destroyed, but which will be raised up again after three days. For those demanding signs as proof, when they do not see the actions for what they are as given, the sign then given by Jesus is himself. As Paul puts it, Christ crucified is the sign proclaimed by God himself whose weakness in death is stronger than human strength, whose wisdom, as the psalmist puts it, is the perfect law of the Lord which revives the soul, which gives wisdom to the innocent. The symphonic links across the readings for this third Sunday of Lent may be subtle, but they are profound and true and life-giving. Wisdom is to be found in God's law, not in the desires of the Greek, which of course is embodied in the jealous obedience, the zeal of Jesus, God's Son, whose life is the sign given by God for new life, upsetting what we demand, but showing us him for whom we long. The scriptures bear witness to him. Some things we can only understand with the Spirit's help over time as we hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them just as did the first disciples. Even present with him, their vision was at best only ever partial. But after he had risen from the dead, the scriptures would come alongside the words he spoke as remembered and would show them both, the scriptures and the word, redolent of life-giving truth and the wisdom for which the psalmist longs. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.